today's reading can be found on page 932 of the Church Bibles, and it is Micah, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, page 932. The Mountain of the Lord. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountains of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Remembrance Sunday is not a celebration of war. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's a time to reflect on the damage done by war to the lives of so many people, people we may know and remember, people to whom we owe our freedom, people who made the ultimate sacrifice in battle or suffered from the mental wounds and anguish that so often followed on from conflict. We can reflect too on the trauma suffered by a city like ours that was bombed so brutally in the Second World War, left scarred and smashed by high explosives as civilians sheltered under tin sheets at the bottom of their garden, never knowing who would be there when they emerged as the silence of the sirens finally came. We remember so that we will never forget the terrible cost of war, the price that is paid for freedom. And at times that can be a bit removed from our everyday lives until suddenly war breaks out again and we see the devastation and the destruction that the instruments of war are capable of. We now live in a time of war, of lives being lost to defend a homeland, in the cities and the countryside of the Ukraine. People fight again against an aggressive invasion that seeks to oppress a sovereign nation. 
my grandfather was a gunnery instructor. He served in both the First and the Second World Wars. He was on the Atlantic convoys and he came back to Portsmouth at the end of the war and taught gunnery on Whale Island. In my grandma's house were these two shells at the end of the mantelpiece and they were always highly polished and in pride of place and they've come down to me as a reminder of my grandfather, of his trade and his profession. But they're also a reminder of what men and women face when they go into conflict, thinking that something like this is coming your way is something that concentrates the mind. It's quite heavy, it's solid, it takes courage to fight in the midst of battle, to stand firm, and we gather today to remember the courage of all those who fought in conflicts near and far. It takes commitment to the cause, the readiness to face the hardship and the suffering, a sense of pride in your nation, and a desire to defend your way of life. And I want this morning to think about all of this within the three categories of faith, hope, and love that we use to shape our life together here at St. Jude's. In September, I went with a friend to the D-Day Museum, first time since COVID. Uh, he was visiting and he was interested, so we went down uh, one uh, showery morning. And amongst all the exhibits, there's uh, this coat, the coat of Betty White. And that's Betty, that's a picture when she was a bit older. But at the time when the D-Day landings were getting ready uh, to go across the channel in 1944, Betty White was a five-year-old child who lived in Gosport. And before the troops went across on the landing crafts, they had to obviously be stationed and wait for the weather to, to, to get right. And they were stationed in Gosport and little Betty collected nearly a hundred badges that her mum sewed onto her coat. And they provide a record of all those who passed through. There are 77 British badges, 10 American, two Canadian, as well as some from other nations as well. At the time, people weren't meant to speak to the soldiers. And I'm sure the soldiers weren't meant to give their badges away. Don't think that comes in general orders. But this is such a moving example of humanity breaking out, even under the extreme pressure of war. The small blonde child of five becomes the recipient of these gifts from the men of war. For me, it speaks of their faith in the cause, for it was to protect the future of those like Betty that they were prepared to make that ultimate sacrifice. It was for the values that they longed to see passed on to the next generation. Values of integrity and justice, of compassion and kindness. The brightness of a future that would not be overshadowed by evil or oppression, by hatred or greed. And where did those values come from? Who was the author of this faith? 
It has to be Jesus, doesn't it? The one who gave his life so that we could live in freedom. The one who took on evil and triumphed over it at the cross. There was a strong sense that God was with the Allied forces when those landings took place at D-Day. The invasions were blessed with a very small window of calm weather. Before there were storms and after there were storms, but this small window allowed the fleet to cross the channel and make those landings. And the German defenders hadn't expected the fleet to appear because of the bad weather. So Field Marshal Rommel, the perhaps most effective general of the Second World War, was away in Bavaria. He was meant to be in Normandy uh, organizing the defense, but instead he was in Bavaria because of the bad weather. He thought it was safe to go and visit his wife on her birthday. And he took her a pair of shoes that he bought in Paris. That's where he was on the morning of June the 6th, 1944. The landings may not have been expected, but still the men of that invasion who went on landing craft like the one outside the museum were told that they could face up to a 70% casualty rate for those who went ashore first. In the end, far fewer died on those beaches, but there was still a terrible cost paid by so many before those beaches became harbors of liberation. Those men had faith that this war was worth waging. Britain could not leave the rest of Europe under Nazi occupation. They had faith that this was a fight of good against evil. And they also had hope, a hope that has been constant down through the centuries. Since the prophet Micah wrote those words in the midst of Middle Eastern conflicts, 700 years before Jesus was born, today is chosen as Remembrance Sunday because it marks the end of the First World War in 1918. That war was meant to be the war to end all wars. But sadly, we know that it was not the case. But the hope is still there. Some might call it a dream. But Micah looks forward to the last days, the end of time that draws to a close all the struggles of our species. Then there will be a common focus for all people, the temple of the Lord, and the people will stream to it. Many nations will go and learn the ways of the living God, and the word of the Lord will bring justice for all. He will resolve disputes and conflicts so that in the end, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will take up sword, will no longer take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. I looked up what a plowshare looked like just... Uh, to be sure, and it's that metal bit at the bottom of the plough. That's what the swords were being beaten to make. The ploughshare cuts through the ground to plant new life instead of a sword cutting through life to bring death. Those who fought in that war to end all wars had their hopes dashed with the outbreak of the Second World War just a few decades later. For us today, this hope of a time without war 
is still elusive, as war is once more being fought on European soil between nations that we considered civilized and developed. But that does not mean that we give up on this hope. For the Prince of Peace has walked on this earth amongst us. He's shown us that there is another way to live, the way of the living God, who brings life and not death, whose kingdom is built upon peace and not violence. If we, the people of this planet, truly followed him, then there would be a time when everyone would dwell in peace and no one would make them afraid. Faith, hope and love. Men and women have fought, not just because of faith and hope, but because of love as well. We see Jesus as the greatest example of someone who laid down his life for his friends. To die a death that was filled not with darkness, but with light and life. His sacrifice was made once for all. My mother was a little bit older than Betty White, but she lived here in Portsmouth in Cockner in 1944, though much of the war she spent evacuated as an evacuee with her aunt in Dorset. She returned home at one point to find that her house was gone and her mum was living in another house in a road a few streets away. And we have a box of photos, well, it's a little leather suitcase of photos that's been passed down in our family. And in that suitcase, there's a photo, this photo. And on the back of this photo, it says, the first time I met my father. So that's my granddad on the right and my grandma on the left and my mum in the middle. You can see that she must have been four or five, the first time she met her father. Why was he missing from her, her early life? Because he was defending our nation's shores and supplies. I can't imagine giving up seeing six years of my children's development. Instead, spending those days shepherding Atlantic convoys with the constant threat of torpedo attacks or dive bombers, mines or en enemy battleships. This is the love of self-sacrifice, the love that reflects the love of the one who gave his life so that we might be set free. For the defenders of the Ukraine today who fight so bravely, it's faith, hope and love that keeps them going, despite the overwhelming odds that they face. Faith, hope and love bring out the best of us. Even in the worst of times, it's faith, hope and love that matter. And they make sense of the sacrifices that have been made for our freedom. Faith, hope and love. Hold those who have lost their dearest ones. Faith, hope and love. The faith, hope and love that's found in Jesus. For Jesus is with us in the midst of the storm and in the quiet desolation that sometimes follows it. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
He is our living hope, the source of life and love. A week ago, I came across a story written by Rudyard Kipling. Someone on a podcast I was listening to recommended it, and I went and found it. It's written by Rudyard Kipling, who lost his own son in the First World War. And it's the story of a woman who took in her abandoned nephew and raised him as her own until he went off to fight in the First World War and died on those Flanders fields. She's left in deep mourning and decides to go and find his grave. And so she visits the newly formed war cemetery. This was something that very commonly happened after the First World War. People went to try and make sense of the loss that our nation had endured. And the story that Kipling wrote is very short. You can find it online. If you just look it up online, you don't have to go and buy it. It's there um, on websites. And this is how the story ends. And I just thought it was a, a fitting way to end this morning. All she saw was a merciless sea of black crosses bearing little strips of stamped tin at all angles across their faces. She could distinguish no order or arrangement in their mass, nothing but a waist-high wilderness of weeds stricken dead rushing at her. She went forward, moved to the left and the right hopelessly, wondering by what guidance she would ever come to her own. A great distance away, there was a line of whiteness. It proved to be a block of some two or three hundred graves whose headstones had already been set, whose flowers were planted out, and whose newly sown grass showed green. Here she, she could see clear-cut letters at the ends of the rows, and referring to her slip, realized that it was not here she must look. A man knelt behind a line of headstones, evidently a gardener, for he was firming a young plant in the soft earth. She went towards him, her paper in her hand. He rose at her approach and without prelude or salutation asked, Who are you looking for? Lieutenant Michael Tull, my nephew, said Helen slowly and word for word, as she had many thousands of times in her life. The man lifted his eyes and looked at her, with infinite compassion before he turned from the fresh sown grass toward the naked black crosses. Come with me, he said, and I will show you where your son lies. When Helen left the cemetery, she turned for a last look. In the distance, she saw the man bending over his young plants, and she went away supposing him to be the gardener. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that your life and death and resurrection 
make sense of our world in so many ways. Help us all to live lives filled with faith, hope and love so that no matter what we face, we may find our peace in you. We ask this in your mighty name.